All right, we're in week nine of our series uh, on the book of Psalms, and believe it or not, next week we, we wrap it up. It's hard to believe that summer is coming to an end, and uh, so we'll wrap it up next week. But today, uh, we're, we're looking at a, a sobering psalm. Uh, we're, we're, this isn't one of those encouraging, comforting, uh, uh, real enlightening psalms that you're going to rush home, print off, and stick on your refrigerator, uh, most likely. Um, psalm 49 is what's known as a wisdom psalm, and in many ways, it, it reads more like a proverb than it does a psalm, but it indeed is a psalm. Uh, and this, this psalm talks in no uncertain terms about the emptiness of riches. Uh, it, it points out the folly of materialism. It warns against focusing our eyes and our attention on the temporal as opposed to the spiritual. So this passage is full of truth. It just isn't always the kind of truth we love to hear, but it's equally inspired, very important. And uh, so we're going to study this psalm, just like we've studied psalms all this summer. Uh, this psalm was not written by David. This was attributed to the sons of Korah. And we're in Psalm 49. If you have your Bibles, we'll begin reading in verse one. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Let's pause here and pray, and then we'll start to dig in. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. And God, these good folks have come today to hear from you, not from me. So Lord, I pray that I would fade into the background. And God, as we open your word, uh, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words of Jesus that we speak today uh, would, uh, God, just fall on ears that are eager to hear and hearts that are receptive to your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, just illuminate for us your word and show us, God, what you'd have us to do, how you'd have us to behave. If there's anything, Lord, in our lives you'd like us to change, God, just uh, draw that to our attention today, Lord. Uh, we just submit to you uh, in, in all these things, Lord. Uh, Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. <clears throat> so the first four verses of this psalm that we just read kind of serve as an introduction uh, to the message that's about to be presented in this psalm. Basically, it says, hey, what I'm, what I'm about to share with you is for everybody. It says, all who live in the world. Well, that's a pretty wide audience, right? That means everybody, but it goes even further than that to say, uh, both low and high, rich and poor alike. He says, listen, whether you're high class or low class, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, this message is for you. He says, I'm going to share with you uh, some words of truth and some words of wisdom uh, that are important for you to understand, that is critically important for you to know. He says, I'm going to expound my riddle uh, to you. Uh, now, the riddle or the primary concern here that he's talking about is the apparent injustice in the world in which wicked fools prosper while the righteous live in poverty. Has that question ever crossed your mind? Why is it that it seems like the most wicked people in the world have the most money and it just seems like you know these people have just this huge amount of wealth so much they oftentimes they don't have a relationship with God and you just kind of scratch your head. It's like how can this be? From a temporal viewpoint, it can seem that wealth, prosperity, and ease of life are associated with God's blessing, while poverty is the consequence of sin, 
But the riddle that he's talking about here, uh, this injustice is what he's trying to explain. Some of the most God-fearing people who've ever walked in this earth lived in poverty and, and, and lived uh, lives that were not easy at all and, and were, were oftentimes uh, treated so very poorly. You see, the issue is so many times we look at a very short time horizon, but we're not looking at the long view. We're only looking at the here and now. Just because somebody is wealthy and blessed today doesn't mean that they're going to enjoy the splendors of heaven. Sadly, many will spend an eternity separated from all that is good, and we certainly don't want that. Let's continue reading in our psalm, verse 5. He says, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. Roger just talked about that. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. All right, so what's he saying here? Basically he's saying, you're not gonna buy your way into heaven. You're not gonna buy your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how much money, how much land, how much wealth you've amassed. It will never be enough to pay a ransom to God to redeem your life. Our redemption comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by believing in him. He, Jesus Christ and our faith in him is the only acceptable payment to God for the remission of our sins. I love the old hymn that says, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been redeemed. We're redeemed not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done. And we need to remember that. So the next time you start seeing somebody who's wealthy and, and uh, you need to understand the fact that their wealth will not buy them one minute in heaven. In fact, all the wealth in the world will not even buy them a glimpse of God's glory and what he has in store for us in heaven. Verse 10 says, For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations. Though they had named lands after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like beasts that perish. Death is coming for us all. None of us are going to make it out of this thing alive, right? <laughs> Unless the rapture happens and we're all rooting for that, right? So this psalm is really a stark picture for each one of us to remember that when you die, when I die, all of our possessions are left behind. We take nothing with us. In the blink of an eye, every single thing that you own, that I own, that we have spent our lives accumulating will immediately and permanently be transferred to someone else. Makes you begin to wonder if it was yours to begin with, right? Verse 11 says, even if you have lands named after yourself, you know, Washington, D.C., Collier County, Smithville, Perrysville, Millersburg, Neptune Beach, Florida, you know, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you had. If everybody lives in a land that's named after you, it isn't going to do you one bit of good when it comes to where you spend eternity. Because the reality is, rich or poor, we all leave it behind when we die. 
Verse 12, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. The beasts that perish. Basically, he's kind of talking about roadkill here, right? Uh, he's talking about the, we're, we're a little bit like the animals that die. You've seen, you've seen animals on the roadside that failed physics class, right? Miscalculating the speed of the oncoming vehicle. The psalmist here is saying, listen, your money, your wealth, these things, they don't last. So life is not about what you amass. It's what you've done to prepare for eternity. That's what matters. Now, Jesus drove this point home on numerous occasions throughout his time as he was teaching his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said this. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So here, Jesus is reiterating exactly what the psalmist was saying. Even if you gain the whole world, if you're the wealthiest person who ever lived, it will not and cannot redeem your soul. So we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in the lure of money and let, us, let it distract us from what's really important, and that is doing what Jesus left us to do. Money is not the most important thing in life. It's not probably even in the top 10, and yet it is probably the thing that drives our thoughts, that drives our motives, that, that consumes our time, uh, earning it and preserving it and investing it. We hold in high esteem those who are good at making it. But I ask you, how many times did Jesus give accolades to the wealthy? Most of the time, he was challenging them. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones he required? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, Jesus knew the issue that this young man was dealing with, and that was the fact that he loved money more than he loved God. He was able to keep so many different aspects of the law, but when it comes to the little G God mammon, he just loved money just a little bit more than Jesus. You see, my friends, the love of money is a trap. And we get lured in by the power and the prestige and the luxury. Now listen, I'm not saying that being wealthy is a sin. I'm not saying that being wealthy is wrong. Many great people in the Bible were wealthy. Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, Lydia, Joseph of Arimathea. 
nothing wrong with being wealthy. You just don't love your wealth more than you love God. Amen? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul, writing to Timothy, said this in verse 17, command those who are rich, acknowledge that there are people in this that are rich, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, I believe the Apostle Paul here is, is saying it's, it's not wrong to be rich. He just says, don't put your hope in riches. That's the same thing that the psalmist said, right? In fact, even in that text, it said he gave us all things for our enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy the wealth that you have, you have achieved, that you have. It's okay to enjoy it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with enjoying the fruit of your labors. But he continued in verse 18 with this same command structure. Command them, who? The wealthy that he just talked about. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, if you are a person who has achieved wealth, if you are, you are someone that has been blessed and you have significant resources, he says you need to use your wealth to do good. You need to be willing to share with others, to be generous with those in need. In other words, he's saying don't hoard God's blessings in your life don't make how much can I gather and how big of a mountain can I build. Don't make that your goal. Jesus warned about, he gave a caution to this to a man who was so pleased with himself that he said, I've got so much, I've got so much grain, I'm gonna build more barns and I'm gonna be able to store more and more. And Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, this man was earthly rich, but spiritually broke. He'd achieved success in the eyes of man, in the eyes of the world, but not in the eyes of God, because everything he had, he was accumulating for himself instead of being rich towards God, investing it in things that God wants. Folks, remember, we're only here for a brief period of time but we spend eternity in heaven. So I don't think Jesus here is reprimanding him for making money. The, the, the issue wasn't the, fan, the, the fact that this man owned riches. The problem was that his riches owned him. He was more in love with his money, his possessions, his wealth, the prestige, the power that comes with it. Than he was God. The issue isn't that he had money. It was what he did with the money that he had. Instead of deploying it for kingdom purposes, instead of using it to advance God's mission on this earth, he just wanted to store it and collect it and have more and more and more. And there's a name for that mentality when we just want more and more and more and more and we're obsessed by this desire to get more, have more, keep more. It's called greed. Luke 12, 15, Jesus, then he said to them, watch out. 
be on your guard. That's two warnings. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, folks, when you look at that which is against Christianity, you know, we think, oh, well, it's this, it's this, this false religion versus Christianity. I'm here to tell you that, you know, it's not, it's not the false religions that are the problem. You know, what, what is drawing more people away is, is the love of money. It's, it's the God mammon. It's this desire for more. It's what consumes our time. It's what consumes our thoughts. It's what keeps us occupied and keeps us from fulfilling the mission that God has given us here, which we call the Great Commission. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's what Jesus said. It's what the Apostle Paul said. It's what the psalmist said. It's like, be careful about your desire to accumulate money. So we go back to the psalm in verse 13, Psalm 49, 13. It says, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. They're like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Again, Paul is reminding us that death, like a gathering storm cloud, is coming for all of us. None of us like to be reminded of the fact that our time on earth is short, but the reality is it is. But life is not the end. You know, that, 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 that's not what it's all about. We need to remember that, that our, just our life on earth is short. But life is eternal. We live forever. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. That's why we do what we do. It's why we have a mobile market. It's why we're building the campuses. It's why we send, uh, have training centers all over the world, training pastors and church leaders. Why do we do this? Because we firmly believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere and we must get the truth of the message of the gospel into their heads, into their hands and into their hearts. We need to reach the next generation. We must teach children the gospel. You know, if we're fortunate, we'll live 80, 90 years. And don't get me wrong, I'm pretty fond of this planet, probably as you are. But it pales in comparison to what comes next. I mean, this life, I mean, there's a lot of nice things here. I enjoy a lot of nice things. You enjoy a lot of nice things. But know this, what we experience here, I don't think our minds can even comprehend what waits for us up there, amen? I think we will be blown away when we see how incredible heaven truly is. I think the splendors of heaven will exceed anything that our mind can comprehend. And truly, I believe that the best is yet to come. So our psalmist here says in verse 16, do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth, but lack understanding, are like the beasts that perish. 
I told you this wasn't a hymn you're going to want to put on your, <laughs> your refrigerator, right? I mean, this is a very sobering, I mean, it's, but it's the truth of what we need to hear, right? You know, this is, you know, as I told you, the Psalms were basically the Jewish hymn book. And I can't imagine this being anybody's favorite hymn, right? You know, hey, can we sing the one where we all like, we're roadkill? Can we do that one again? Like, no, you know, that's, that's not the way it's going to be. But it's important that we understand this very important truth that we are not redeemed by money. Life is not about gaining wealth. We take nothing with us when we die. These are just truths that really need to be spoken in our world today. Because, because the lure to chase after money is so real. It's so powerful. It's, it's so enticing that we can, we can lose sight of the big picture, that this world is not our home that we don't live for this world, we live for the next. And it's not about how much we accumulate here, it's how much we send there. It's how much we invest of what we have here that will, that's being rich towards God, that's fulfilling his kingdom purposes, that's advancing the great commission. <clears throat> now, I wanna do something a little different here this morning. I usually don't do this, but there, there's, there's an issue in our country today uh, um, that is really, really becoming very prevalent uh, throughout our land. It's called the prosperity gospel movement. Uh, and if you're not familiar with this term, the prosperity gospel is a rapidly growing church movement that teaches that basically God wants believers to be physically healthy, materially wealthy, and personally happy. And teachers of the prosperity gospel encourage their followers to pray for and even demand material blessings from God. They basically say, well, you're the child of a king, so you need to live like the child of a king. You need to act like the child of a king. And they give this idea that, you know, it's all about wealth. You may hear this movement called different things, the name it and claim it gospel, health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, the positive confession gospel the blab it and grab it gospel, however you, want to, however you want to say it. These churches typically teach that if you have faith in God, that you will experience blessings, good health, much wealth, and that if you need more, you just need to give more, and you just need to invest more, and it just usually happens to be in them. And uh, it's almost similar to some kind of a multi-level marketing deal where, you know, the people at the top seem to, to do really well in this kind of thing, but so many other people I feel get taken advantage of, and, and it's really dangerous, and the, and the, the thing is, is they, there's enough truth to make it sound right, but there's enough that's wrong to make it dangerous, amen? And so um, I want you to hear just a two-minute clip uh, from Francis Chan, who talks about this. And I think in two minutes, he does a good job talking about why this is dangerous. So we're going to hear from him, and then I'll come back and, and we'll wrap up. Watch this. Jesus was, Jesus was so clear when he said, look, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It says no, and he says in John 15, like no servant's gonna be greater than his master. 
And, and so there's a sense in which you rejoice. Okay, look at the way they're treating me. They're going to treat you that way also. And what's awful about the prosperity gospel is it's saying your life is going to be completely different. I promise you it'll be completely different from what Christ went through. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. The people are going to love you. And, and it really sets people up for... Uh, for failure in a lot of ways. I mean, the, like, like Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. And what the prosperity gospel teaches is, hey, be surprised if there's any type of trial in your life because you should be experiencing. Man, he's our heavenly father. He wants us to experience the best. You know, you should be treated like kings when Paul's saying, the exact opposite when he's, he's talking to the Corinthians and these super apostles. He's, oh, you're already rich. Oh, you've all be, become kings and that without us. Meanwhile, we apostles are like the scum of the earth. We're like uh, uh, these, these guys condemned to die in the arena. And he actually contrasts himself from those that were preaching a prosperity gospel. So it, it, it just goes against what Jesus preached and what Paul preached and what Peter preached. I say this just so that you're aware of the fact that this is a very rapidly growing movement uh, around the country, around the world, and even in our own community. And so just beware and do not get sucked in to it because it's not the gospel that Jesus preached. As I wrap up this morning, I just want to remind you of one profound truth from this psalm, verse 10. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Folks, we're all gonna die, and we're gonna leave everything we have behind. And none of us is promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow, you're not promised tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time then vanishes away. We're like the steam off a cup of coffee. It's here and then it's gone. We're like the flowers that, that bloom and then die. We, we, we like to think that we're gonna have 80 to 90 years, but the truth of the matter is we, we, we can be gone in a heartbeat. I was a fireman in Ohio and there would be many times when I was driving the rescue squad and, and we would go to a car accident and many times pick up people that unfortunately perished in a car accident. And I just remember driving, I just vividly remember driving the ambulance and, and thinking that person got in their car and they were going someplace and it probably never dawned on them that they would be gone before they got where they were going. They didn't get a chance to tell their, their loved ones, their family members, their friends. They didn't get a chance to tell them goodbye. I remember many times thinking that there are folks that are about ready to get a phone call that's gonna change their lives forever. And it was just, it was just something that just weighed on me as, as I drove the squad those days. Friends, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. What's important is, are you ready? Are you ready if your number were to be called today? If Jesus said, you know what, it's time for you to come. This is, this is it. Are you ready? 
Has your soul been redeemed? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in what Jesus did? You know, so much of what this psalm and what we've read this morning is basically saying is, is listen, don't trust your works and don't trust your wealth because you're not gonna earn your way into heaven and you're not gonna buy your way into heaven. Access to heaven comes only through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is one door, and that door is Jesus. And we're saved by faith, by putting our trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for our sins. If you're here today or if you're joining us online, if you're driving down the road listening to this message and there has never been a time when you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope today that what you've heard has made sense. Maybe the light bulb has clicked in your mind to realize the fact that you can't earn your way. It's not about being religious. It's not about works. It's only about the fact that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've trusted him. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you, put your faith in Christ today, trust in him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus didn't make it hard. You receive it by asking for it. It's presented right there, but you have to receive it. You have to take it and you take it by by asking for it. Let's pray together. Father, what a sobering psalm we've read this morning, realizing the fact that life is short and we all die. God, we recognize today that we all spend eternity somewhere. And God, I pray if there's someone in this room or someone joining us online that doesn't know for sure that if they died today, they would spend eternity with you. God, I pray that they would cry out to you even now. A prayer as simple as, Lord, save me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead, proving he was God. God, I put my faith in you the best I know how. I pray that you will save me and take me to heaven when I die. May I live my life to bring glory to you. God, I pray that that simple prayer would be uttered this morning by those who don't know Christ. And God, I pray that today there would be many who trust Jesus as their Savior. Lord, there may be some this morning that today's message has been sobering because though they are saved, perhaps they've been lured into the temptation of more, 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 and more. God, maybe today you've just pointed out the fact that, uh, Lord, it's about doing what you want done. It's about your kingdom. It's about your agenda. It's about the great commission and what you've left us to do as followers of Christ to advance your kingdom here in this earth. God, may they deploy your resources to see many people come to Christ. So, Father, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we can know for sure that when we die, we go to heaven. And that moment when we pass on, that, God, we know that in the twinkling of an eye, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we can rejoice in knowing the fact that there's so much more ahead of us. So, Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Use us, God, to bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.